Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 171. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that I have trench diet in the pandemic in the background. That is because that is the story we are listening to right now at the end of every episode. I think it's been three or four weeks we've been doing it. So if you want to go back and listen to the audiobook, go back a couple episodes, check it out from there. I'm not including the choices. It gets a little confusing on here. But uh, the audiobook for Trying to Die in the Pandemic and Trying to Die in Brightside is on sale for $2.99 on Chirp. So you can always check it out there. The Kindle version of Pandemic is free now, so if you haven't checked that out, be sure to download that. Remember, even though it says Kindle, you don't have to have an actual Kindle to read a Kindle book. You can read a, just download the free Kindle app and you could read on anything. That's what I tend to do if I'm going to read an ebook, which I really am not a big fan of. Although for the trend today, it's kind of cool. It's a lot easier than having a fucking flip to the pages. You just choose, oh, go back. I messed up. Speaking of trying not to die, that's been a lot of fun this week, trying to die in the Wild West. I just completed, or I feel like I finalized the first 11 chapters, um, lots of the death scenes, but I'm going to send that chunk to John, uh, let him add to it, change it up, um, tell me a little bit more about these characters that he's created, and then uh, in the meantime, I will be finishing up the second half of it, and then I'll give him that. So kind of cool how that's working i still haven't got on evan's trying to die in a dark fairy tale i need to go over that uh definitely a lot of shit i gotta do i'm really starting to uh realize i need to turn down i need to say no to more people about reading their work i just don't have the time i still want to read i still will read uh but fiction that i enjoy um i just can't do uh you know, trying to edit stuff, trying to help other other writers and stuff like that right now because I just have so much on my plate. So I need to put myself first on that. And so that is what I am doing. This week, I went to the library. It's something I rarely do anymore. I used to do all the time as a kid. I went to the Rosemead Library, which is where my parents live. That's the library I was, shit, I was there all the time. My mom, that's where we would go for our entertainment. They used to have movies there on the weekend. Uh, and during the week in summer, we would go all the time. That's where I really developed my love for reading, which led to the writing. So that's really cool. It was kind of neat going back in there. Uh, so much of it looks the same. They made some improvements, but what are you going to do? It's a library. Just tons and tons of books. So I dropped those off. I dropped off the four trying to dies for young adult. And then also Untold Mayhem, Twisted Reunion, and Unlocking the Cage. So I'm going to start doing that with different libraries and see how that goes. What? A, oh, if you are, if you do use the library and you do like to read my stuff, please ask them to carry it. All my stuff is, they can find it all through in, uh, Ingram Sparks for the most part. Most of my audiobooks are on Overdrive, which is what the libraries generally tend to uh, get their audiobooks through, I believe. So a lot of them are on there. There are certain ones that are not like trying to die at grandma's house. A couple other ones are only ACX exclusive. But otherwise, yeah, if you ask the librarian, they should pick it up. So that would be awesome for me and awesome for you. Anyone else at the library, 
that has not read my shit yet. So that is good. Um, last week I mentioned, <clears throat> or I think I mentioned, I was going to be doing an Amazon ads course. I kind of cheated. I did not want to stick through doing an hour a day plus exercises plus like I know how helpful it would be, but I am, I don't know, just not there yet. But I have been running, I do run Amazon ads. I'm doing pretty well in Germany right now. Still on the small scale, but it's nice to see Totentanz is doing well. My other stuff should take off after it. Uh, once that happens, I can invest a little bit more money and time into getting the rest of my stuff developed into uh, German, have it translated into German. So I kind of put a pause on that to build it up the, the demand first. Got a decent amount of exercise in this week, two times with my training partner. So that was cool. We hadn't lifted together in a long time. So doing the yoga and one day we did yoga, like, a, and then a two and a half mile walk with his dogs. The next day we did yoga, an hour of lifting. That was pretty brutal. I was supposed to do it today, but I was like, fuck, I got to do the podcast and the newsletter because I didn't do it last night. So I had to miss out today's session with George but I will be doing it on my own, uh, sticking with it. I won't do the lifting weights, but I will do the yoga and some swimming. Uh, yeah, Fridays are a cool day as soon as I get all this shit done. So it's nice when I have the podcast and newsletter done. But last night I wanted to hang out with family. So I did it right. I'm doing it right now. Won't take me that long. Hopefully I'll be done by 10 or 11 o'clock. Then I can just hang out with the family if they're doing their own stuff and don't want anything to do with me, which happens quite often. Uh, that's cool too, because then I can go on. I will work on the Wild West. I will play some video games. I will play some VR. I practice some guitar and uh, yeah, make a fucking pretty awesome day out of it. So yeah, Fridays are now a day I look forward to. Never had been before. Just how it's working out. I'm enjoying them. So let's cut this shit short. Um, I've got my newsletter right. I still need to get my yoga in. And you guys want to hear the next three scenes of Try Not to Die in the Pandemic. Remember, the Kindle book is free. Pick that up. Tell your friends. The more people I can get reading that, the better. I did not get the covers yet for Try Not to Die in the Wild West or Death Fest done yet. I wrote to an, author, uh, an artist. He wasn't able to do it, so I will go ahead and just create those uh, with my regular guy, see how those turn out, and put those up for pre-order very, very soon. So that's pretty exciting. All right, guys, I'm going to leave you now with Transdye in the Pandemic. This is narrated by A.J. Carter. These are the next three sections. Remember, if you want to hear the death scenes, you got to go pick up the audiobook, which is on sale at Trip for $2.99. All right, guys, thanks for checking this out. I will talk to you later. Peace. Splitting toward the right, I realize I've got to find Amy before they do. I'd never forgive myself if anything happened to her. Falcon isn't going to catch me, but I have to watch out for others, so I keep alternating my path. Right, then left. Right, then left. My chest burning by the time I make it to the staircase. I'm about to head down when I remember I'm weaponless. Nothing to take on chicken, turkey, or or any other bird brain that might be down here. I don't even know where Amy might be, or if she's safe. They said she was on the bottom level, so I'm guessing she stuck to what was familiar and made for the ice rink. I hurry down the stairs before Falcon catches up. Slow inhales, soft footsteps, no noise from above or below. 
I give up the act and gun it down the last stairs. Head right down the hallway, running around the warning signs. Danger. Risk of infection. Restricted zone. There isn't much down here besides administrative offices and storage. The ice rink way down at the end of this corridor. Whoever had been searching for Amy is nowhere around. No crew or passengers either. I'm guessing it's the warning signs and pull up my sweaty mask. Remembering weapons aren't the only things I need to worry about. There's a large warning sign on the doors to the ice rink, stating it is closed until further notice. There are also two posts with a chain stretched between them. The one to the right is farther from the wall like it's been moved. I've just got to hope it was Amy and not one of the bad guys. There's a noise down the hall. No time to be a coward. I slip into the rink. Everything pitch dark when the door closes behind me. The click's so loud. I shiver from the cold. Slide to the side of the door just in case bad guys barge in. There's no movement. No sound. Quiet so no one can hear me on the other side of the door. I say, Amy, Amy, you in here? There's nothing. Actually, there is something. Someone's walking down the corridor. It's Dylan, I say a little louder. It's safe. The footsteps are coming closer. Dylan? Her faint voice floating to me. Dylan? My eyes have adjusted fairly well to the dark, and I can make out the stairs down to the ice. I'm coming. I hold onto the railing and start down the stairs, not sure what I'm smelling, only that it seems to be getting worse. Amy? Down here, she says, her voice shaking. On the ice. I'm about a dozen steps up but can't tell which direction her voice is coming from. Which side? There's movement down to my left. Plastic rustling. Over here. I've never been good on ice and don't want to risk breaking my neck trying to reach her. I stop at the entrance to the rink and say, Can you come to me? Amy's crying. She tries to talk, but the only thing I make out is she needs help. They better not have hurt her. I step into the rink, surprised by the crunching of plastic instead of slippery ice. I reach down and feel the thin tarp, make my way to her sobs. It's okay, I tell her. I'm coming. Amy says, I'm about halfway down the wall. Heading in that direction, I bump into something big. My first thought is a bad guy, and I jump back with a gasp. What is it? Amy asks. I kick out, my shoe connecting with the lump. Something in the way. Keep your hand on it and follow until there's an opening. I do as she says, my fingers skimming the cold plastic. No idea what lay beneath it. Amy says, Down here. I make my way down the aisle and spot waist-high piles on either side. Did they hurt you? Amy stands and wraps her arms around me, hugs me tighter than I've ever been held. Oh my god, Dylan, I thought they got you. No way. I promised you I'd come back. She sniffles back snot and breaks off the hug. We can't stay in here. I know. We've got to find that sea marshal or the captain. Someone has to stop these guys. They've got my phone, Amy says. It's got all my info. Was it locked? 
I had on the flashlight so I could take this off my skate, she says, showing me an eight-inch shiny blade, the bottom half wrapped thick with black tape. That's when the doors opened. I went over the wall, hid under here, listened while the guy came down and took the phone, walked around the room for a bit. These guys are insane, I say. They killed the people next cabin to mine. How many are there? I saw at least six, maybe eight. And the ship's huge, Amy says. There could be more. I say, let's stick with eight. And they have guns? One less now. I managed to knock one of their guns into the ocean. Let's go, Amy says, sounding a little panicked like June. We've got to get out of here. What is it? She taps the tarp. This whole place, they're using it as storage. These are all bodies. I believe her, but still raise the tarp to see for myself. The outline of three bodies stacked on top of each other. I gag and drop the tarp. Oh my god, there's gotta be at least a hundred. Her tears return, her voice shaky. And there's no way to know if my mom's in here. I hug Amy close and shush her. She's not, I say, praying I'm not just filling her with false hope. She's resting up and you'll see her soon. Amy holds me tight and says, Thank you. I couldn't do this without you. Time to make a decision. To try to get to Amy's cabin, go to Chapter 20. To go back to her original checkpoint to find Officer Downing, go to Chapter 21. The door leading out of the ice rink is directly in front of me. Amy is standing to my right. There's no noise coming from the corridor, but I whisper, You ready? Let's do this. Cracking open the door, I give the all clear. Amy comes out, couched over. Intimidating with the mask and hoodie, the hockey blade ready to strike. I say, I can carry that. Amy shakes her head. You've got your fists. We head down the hallway. Keep our steps light. Our voices hushed. I don't tell her I've never been in a real fight. That I got lucky cheap shots on the bad guys. Near the end of the hall, Amy whispers, You think your family's okay? The thought of what could have happened to them makes me sick. They've got to be, I say. I led Falcon away from there the best I could. Falcon? They've all got stupid bird names. Why are they even here? The next corridor is empty. The staircase about twenty yards up. No one around. I say, Opportunists, I guess. They're just here to rob us? For what? No one carries cash on cruises. It seems like more than that if they're killing witnesses that can ID them. We pause at the bottom of the staircase and listen. Amy says, You really saw them kill? Two guards for sure, and we heard them kill the Bordens. I start up the stairs and say, They'll pay. We get up the first two staircases and are halfway up the third when someone starts talking up on the deck. I stick out my arm and freeze. No, it ain't up for discussion, Falcon says. You want me calling Crow? We should be collecting, not chasing kids. A man says, his voice hoarse. I wave Amy after me, point toward the hallway at the top of the stairs. 
She assures me, nods her head to the left. Yeah, well, we wouldn't even be in this situation if it weren't for you, Falcon says, sounding plenty pissed. Wait for directions and leave your damn mask on. I gotta get something for my arm. We head down the corridor, pretty sure no one saw us. This hallway is all offices, their doors closed, lights off. I check over my shoulder, confidence boosted seeing it's just me and Amy. I ask her, how far can we take this? How do we get to the captain's quarters? Keep going right, then left until we... Amy grabs my hand to stop me. There's the sound of running water and trays clanking, muffled voices. She says, the galley. It's on the left, two large doors with windows at the top. You're hungry? The workers, she says. They can help. I already got the Bordens killed. Amy lets go of my wrist and takes the lead. We'll be careful. The galley is huge, everyone bustling around, all wearing white, including their masks. Amy takes us past a skinny guy hosing dishes the healthy people are eating off of, instead of from cardboard boxes. An older, olive-skinned woman is chopping fruit at the first station. A pot-bellied guy with a mustache creeping past his mask is quartering chickens. Nice to see there's a little more upscale selection than bagels and fruit cups. Most likely for the captain and his A-class passengers. There are another four workers, but no one notices us. Amy heads for the tall, scruffy guy in his chef's hat working the grill. The guy backs away from the smoke and looks at us, huge bags under his eyes like he hasn't slept since the 70s. Amy says, We're under attack. The guy looks at her like she's crazy, his eyes glued to her makeshift knife. I say, There are bad guys on board. Terrorists. They've killed people. He shrugs. Non capisco. I only know a little Spanish and give it a shot. No inglés? The man shakes his head. Lo parlo italiano. I'd forgotten the aria was originally made and launched from Naples. The crew's Italian. Of course they are, Amy says frustrated. We'll split out the back. This was a bad idea. I tell her to hold on. All the galley workers are paying close attention. I lower my mask, hope reading my lips might help them. Does anyone here speak English? Everyone's looking at me like I just committed an unimaginable crime. The scruffy guy shakes his head and points to his mask, saying, No, no, no. The last thing in the world I care about right now is violating a health code, but I slip my mask back up. The woman dicing apples points to the back room. English. I nod thanks and take Amy's hand. Come on. She says, I wish my dad was here. I open the door for Amy, can feel her fear. It's a big ship, I say. They're not going to find us. There's a worker in white sitting with his back to us, his feet resting on an old wooden desk. To the right's a tan door. On the other side of Amy, there's a pass-through with a conveyor belt complete with stacks of unwashed dishes ready to go to the galley sinks. On the other wall, there's a second passage with a conveyor belt sporting a half-full garbage bag. Likely the rubbish chute. There are voices coming from the galley, but I'm praying it's just workers. I whisper to Amy, What should we do? She says, This was your call. Time to make a decision. 
To hide in the garbage chute, go to chapter 22. To go through the tan door, go to chapter 23. To ask the guy at the desk for help, go to chapter 24. I tell Amy, you listen for them. She nods and puts her ear to the galley door. The guy at the desk has on a galley smock and doesn't look to be much older than me. His eyes closed, a pair of black headphones on. His boots move to a rhythm I can't hear. I hadn't noticed it, but on the other side of his boots is a big old-fashioned radial microphone. It doesn't appear to be connected to the built-in panel of radio gear that is turned off. I walk wide of the guy so I don't startle him. He doesn't react to me clearing my throat, so I knock on the desk. His eyes pop open. Hey, man! He says, way too loud. Holding up my finger to my mask, I indicate he should be quiet. The guy glances at Amy, the blade shining in her hand. He lowers his headphones and holds up his hands. Whoa, what the hell is this? We're here to warn everyone. There are bad guys coming. He looks at me like I'm crazy. Bad guys? Robbers, pirates, terrorists. I really don't know, I say. All I know is they're stealing and killing. Amy says, They killed security guards and his neighbors. You serious? Dead, I nod at Amy. We saw their faces. They're gonna kill us. Holy crap! If they got security, then who's gonna stop them? Amy says, My dad's a cop. His gun's in our cabin. I say, There's the sea marshal. We need the captain to call for help. That's it, he says. We've got to call him. I stare at the microphone. This works? Not that. It's just part of the captain's private collection. He turns back to the desk and lifts a small panel under the screens. But there is this so he can radio the bridge when there's tours. It's a little gimmick for the kids to see how it used to work. I get chills. You know how to use it? Simple. He turns on a small strip with dials and buttons, small circles on either side, each covered with miniature mesh. He presses the green button and they're static. This is the bridge, a voice says, strong and slow. Do you copy? He presses a small black button. This is Anthony with Galley Bellaforte. Who am I speaking with? Hello, Anthony. This is Captain Oxford. Anthony says, I have a young man with me who is reporting an incident on board. I hear you. Proceed. Anthony gestures for me to speak and presses the button. I say, Hello, Captain. My name is Dylan Cooper. My family and I are guests on the Aria. I witnessed men killing security officers and the occupants of the cabin next to ours. There's a pause. Are you sure? asks the captain. Positive, I say. They're after us. What did you say your name was? Cooper, I say. Dylan Cooper. You need to tell the marshal. Call in the Coast Guard. Well, Dylan, why don't you and your little girlfriend stay put, and my men will be right there to take a statement. Anthony and Amy look as confused as I feel. I never mentioned Amy. I ask... Who should we look for? Oh, you'll recognize them, 
Crow says, the fake accent gone. You've caused me a lot of unnecessary trouble, Dylan. Time to see how you like it. I back away from the desk, look at Amy clutching the blade. What's wrong, Dylan? Crow continues through the speaker. Afraid I might pay your family a special visit. Anthony says, Dude, you guys gotta get out of here. Amy says, Which way? There's a commotion in the galley. Voices. Loud voices. Hollering. I make for the door leading away from the galley, but Anthony grabs my arm. No, he says. They'll be watching it. He points to the small window with the conveyor belt that leads into pure darkness. Go in there. What? It's the garbage chute, Anthony says, lowering his voice. Trust me, if they come in here, I'll point them to the door. I bet you can get out the other side through another chute. By the time they figure it out, you'll be long gone. I hesitate. Go, now, Anthony says, turning to the top shelf. He picks up a box labeled canned tomatoes. I'm not kidding. Hurry up. Okay. I hurry toward the small window. Tell Amy to go in first. Amy slides the hockey blade in her back pocket and climbs up on the belt. So gross. She says as she backs in on forearms and knees, kicking at the trash bags behind her. Such a gentleman. As soon as she's cleared the window, I get up on the conveyor, freeze at the yell coming from the galley. Anthony sets the box of tomatoes on the desk with the communication gear. He clicks the button to off and closes the lid. Go, he says. The noise in the galley only intensifies. Metal clattering, people screaming. You clear? I ask Amy, lowering onto my belly so I can fit. She says yes, and I slide myself back using the small ridges and metal bars rimming the conveyor belt. The stench only gets stronger. Hold on, Amy says. She grunts and there's a loud smack behind her, a soft thud right after. I'm at the end of the tunnel. It's only a matter of time before someone comes in here. When they do, we're both dead. Keep going. I can't see anything. You've got to go. Hold on to my legs. She says okay and takes hold of my ankles, lowers herself. I brace my shoes against the sides of the walls as someone howls in the galley. Amy releases my ankles and says, Be careful coming out. The ledge is tiny. I lie on my belly and scoot out the opening, Amy guiding my feet to the ledge. It's hard to see, but my eyes quickly adjust. The area opens up and falls off into a large room. Everything is overripe and rotten. It's one big vat of filth. The air thick and rancid. I don't know if this small ledge rimming the room can handle all our weight. Around the middle, running vertically, there's a large metal panel system that must be the framework for giant doors. I barely make out a row of windows on the opposite sides. Amy asks, How do we get across? Time to make a decision. To walk the high wire and try to navigate the small ledge, go to chapter 25. To jump down into the garbage hold and crawl across the garbage bags, go to chapter 26.